So allow me to take one more day on the doctrinal backdrop, the story that's being told while we make covenants. So he's going to tell us a story, and then as the story proceeds, we pause at certain moments and make certain covenants. And the covenants are tied to the story. But the story is Heavenly Father's way of waving his arm saying, there's some things I'm emphasizing in the story relative to the covenants. And you need to pause and say, wait a minute, why is that significant? It took me decades before I finally said, why is it significant that I constantly hear the story about cherubim and the flaming sword? And when I asked that question, what's he waving his arms? What's he trying to say? And it dawned on me, oh my goodness, I get it. You're making these covenants in an environment of probation, not an expectation of perfection. I know you're going to struggle to keep them. That's the expectation. So as long as I keep that in mind, as I make and keep the covenants, it gives me a realistic expectation of what God expects. So allow me to do one more. And I want to do this. I know this is a sensitive subject. And I don't want it to come across as being shoved down your throat. But I'm not afraid of teaching true doctrine. So I want to find the balance between teaching this in a way that I know it's sensitive and yet teaching truth. So I hope I can find that balance. So allow me to point out one more thing that he emphasizes in the story that's going on behind the covenants. A word you hear many, many times. And again, it took me a long time to catch the significance of the word. So allow me to save you a lot of time and point out the significance of the word early. So we're going to talk today about the story he tells in the temple of creating this earth. Now, we talked about why we need an earth, right? So we need to change. We need to correct what's not right about the place and what's not quite right about the body we possess. And each phase was an improvement on the place and an improvement on the body. So we went from a pre-mortal place where it was wonderful to be in his presence, but it's not the right place to be tested and having a spirit body to jumping into a creation. Now we have a place for us. Now we have a place for all of us to come, a home. And we have at least Adam and Eve with physical bodies. And then we jumped into the fall where now we have the place that's right for our progression, a probationary place. And we now have Adam and Eve are able to procreate and we can all come. Now here we all come. And then we jump into the atonement that fixes all the places and all of the bodies. And now we can now go back and enter his presence, not needing to be outside of his place anymore and be having a body just like him. So that was the kind of the general pro progression is I'm trying to get back to him and inherit what he has. Today, I want to emphasize the story we see every single time you go to the temple and go to the endowment session. He tells a story about creating this earth. Now, we've seen that story so many times. What's the question that that story is answering? 
You don't get it in the temple. And once again, what does he hold up repeatedly to say, you'll never understand fully this endowment without turning here. So what do the scriptures teach us that the sto- what is the question that the story of the creation is answering? Anyone ever thought that? What, what's the question this story is answering? Let me tell you what the question isn't. The question is not how. He is not answering that question. Do not go to the temple and expect him to answer the question, how did you create this earth? Luckily, someday he will answer that question, and I'm dying to find out. I have my theories. But that is not what I go to the temple to answer. Can anyone tell me the question that the story of the creation is answering? I know James knows it because we've had this discussion. Anyone else looked it up? Let's look it up. Let's look up the question. So turn with me to Moses chapter 1, which incidentally is the missing first chapter of the Bible. Every Bible should have Moses chapter 1 as its first chapter, but it was taken out during the apostasy. So everyone's Bible opens with Moses chapter 2 which is the creation, right? So the Genesis Bible on every pulpit starts with the creation, but the chapter that came before the the creation has the question in it. So verse 30, Moses chapter one, verse 30, what question does Moses ask for which God gives the answer as the story of the creation? It's not how. It's not when, it's not where, it's why. Why is there an earth? Now, we've seen the progression. We've kind of answered that question, but he's going to answer it specifically. So let me ask you to go to the temple, study the creation, and ask yourself, how is he answering the question why he created the earth. What in the story of the creation is the answer to why did he make this earth? Why? So let's do Moses chapter two. Since we're not in the temple and we can't rewind the video and pause and talk about it, let's do the scriptures, okay? I'm holding up the scriptures and now we have a print copy that we can study. So everyone turn to Moses chapter two. And knowing that Moses just asked the question, tell me, why are these things so? You tell me if you can see his answer as to why I made an earth. All right, day one. So let's go through the six creative periods. Day number one, God doesn't, start, doesn't create from ex nihilo. God doesn't start with nothing and have something. He organizes something that is missing life. So the day number one is he brings life to this earth. The, the particles of this earth have always existed, but he put it together and brought it to life. The light he's talking about in verse two of Moses two is not photon light. It's life light. 
So day number one, the earth was without form and void, and the Lord caused darkness to come upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit moved upon the face of the water. And he said, let there be light. Give me the synonym. Let there be life on this planet. Not just on, but in. Let this planet come to life. And he gave birth to this planet. Now, is this planet alive? Does she speak? Does she have opinions? Does she speak to us sometimes? She does. And a fascinating little read is if you want to read through Moses chapter 7, the earth is asking God, when will I be cleansed? Who has a front row view as to of all the wickedness that happens on this planet? Who sees all the cruelty and all the damage done on this planet? She does. And she is asking, when will I be cleansed? And that's a fascinating thought. But the earth comes to life. So day number one, he brings the earth to life. Now tell me what word. Now, if you want to mark these, day number one is verses two through five. Now tell me what word you hear repeatedly in the temple as to what is his assessment of this day. When God creates a life, when he brings the earth to life, his assessment of his work is, it is good. Now, what grade do we usually associate with good? If you do good in school, what grade do you probably get? Is that an A grade? You go home and tell your mom, I got a good grade. Does she expect an A? So what grade do we associate with the word good? Average, right? Decent, not the best, but average. So tell me what he's saying. We're not, quite We're not there yet. It's not ready. It's not complete. I'm not ready to give it an A. The earth is good. It's alive. And that's great. But it's not why I created it. I didn't create this earth to bring it to life. That's not my purpose. So the grade so far is, it's a decent grade. All right, day number two. Tell me what we, we need. Just break this day down in, okay, logically, what do we need? Six through 10 is day two. We have to have dry land and water in their places. The water cycle needs to start. We need to have rain. There's no way we can have food for his children to eat if there's not rain and rivers and evaporation. So we've got to have dry land and we have to have water all functioning properly. Because it's just separating the water. Right. Okay. He's separating land and water. He's creating a body of mass of water, of land, and a body of water. Do you see where he's going? Okay. I just look at nine, it says, let there be dry land. Yeah. Okay. And we're still in day two. That's at day three. That's at verse nine. Day two ends at eight. Um, or am I like wrong? I would say. Because it says the evening and the morning were the second day, and then the water under the heaven gathered together into one place. 
and let there be dry land. It's, it gets a little fuzzy because what, when does he assess day two? In, in verse 10. So again, I know there's a fuzziness here and we're not drawing clear lines, but he assesses his work of day two in verse 10. So I'm going to, I'm going to give 10 as kind of the end of two, maybe the beginning of three, but this is land and water. What direction is he moving? Do you see the direction he's moving? He started a course that's going to end where? Why do I need dry land? Why not a, la why not a planet full of water? Do you see where he's going? So he, he creates land and water, and his assessment in verse 10 is good. So what's his grade so far? Is he ready to give the earth an A? No. It is not done. This is not my final project. It's a work in progress, and so far, we're headed in the right direction. His word is good. Now, what's his next step? What do we need in day three? Starting in verse 11, 12, and 13, we're growing food. But tell me, what's the purpose of the food? Do you see where he's going? Food is not the goal. Having food and plants and herbs is not the goal. He's moving in a direction that is showing you his goal. But now that I have dry land and rain, I'm going to plant some seeds. I need there to be corn and wheat. I need there to be flowers and trees. I need there to be shade from the sun. So let's prepare this earth with plants. Now, allow me to start to make some comparisons. Those of you who are in school, what is school your final grade? Is getting an education the destination? Now, are there people who kind of get lost and think that the education is the mean, is the end. The degrees on the wall are the goal. But what word would God associate with your education? It's good. It's good. It's not the goal. The project isn't complete. And if you get caught up in that and mistake that the it's the end. You're not going to be as happy as he would like you to be. Now, he'll honor that. But do you see where he's pushing us? I go to work every day, work very hard to put food on a table, clothing on my children, shelter, and all of that, Heavenly Father would say, is good. That's not the goal. That's not the destination. It's an important part, but it's not the destination. So his assessment. So I would list day three as 11 through 13. And his assessment of day three is in verse 12. What's his assessment of day three? It's good. It's good. Again, what grade is he giving his project? 
He's not done. This is not the great. This is not the goal. Having a beautiful planet with plants everywhere is not the goal. So day number four, the only way we're going to grow those plants is if we have sun, moon, day, night, the earth rotating, seasons, winter. We're going to go through a whole cycle. And so he puts the earth in orbit. He spins it. Now we have day and night. We have winter and summer. We have the process. So sun, moon, stars, all part of the process. But again, not the goal. And so at the end of the fourth day, verse 18, what does he say when he sets the sun to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night and he divides light and darkness and the earth is spinning and we have morning and nighttime, we have winter, we have summer. What does he say of his work in verse 18? It's still good. It's still good. But are you getting a very clear message? I'm headed to a destination. I need you to head to the same destination. If your purposes want to match God's purposes, you need to understand that priority and you need to be headed to the same destination he's headed to. And many of his children are not. Many of his children are not headed to the same destination. Now, he has a kingdom of glory for that. But that's not where he dwells. And so you need to start to say, okay, is my life conforming to the pattern he's put forward? What would he say about your mission? It's good. But serving a mission is not the destination. And when it's over, you need to go home. And you need to not lament that you're home. Because you're done with something good, now move on. Because I'm moving in a direction and I want you to move in that same direction. So he creates all these things and he says they're good. Now what do we need in day five? Animals. Does Heavenly Father care about the salvation of his animals? Yes. Yes, he does, very much so. His planets, his worlds are filled with his creations, including his animals. And they partner with us. They are here to help us. They are food. They are labor. They are comfort. They are all of those things. But is his work done? Now that we have an earth, it's spinning, light, day, continents, oceans, plants, and animals. Is his work done? And so at the end of all of this, now he's, he's made an incredible planet, hasn't he? And his assessment in verse 21 of the fifth day is, it's good, this is not why I made the earth. Now, I know this is, this is part of a sensitive subject, but this earth was not made for animals. They are certainly to be treated kindly. But this earth was not made for animals to inhabit. And when he was done with the animals, his assessment was, it's good, but that's not where I'm headed. That's not 
the destination. Now, allow me to be... I'm going to walk tenderly here. Who creates the earth? Who is sent to create the earth? Jesus and his assistant, Michael. Who creates the land? Who creates the plants and the sun? Who creates the animals? Then something changes. When it is time for day six, he does not send. He no longer sends. Tell me what he does on day six. He goes down. And he uses a very interesting word. We will go down. Who's the we? I know you're thinking, I will join you, Jehovah and Michael. Can I suggest the we was a different we? She and I will now go down. Thank you, Jehovah and Michael. Now it is my turn. Day six, the father comes. And the mother comes. And they create. Tell me what they create. We've got to be really complete here. They create Adam. They create Eve. Now, is that what he emphasizes? Let's read it. You tell me what he emphasizes. Is it marriage he emphasizes? Let's read it, okay? Um, let's start in verse 26. And I, God, said unto mine only begotten, which was with me from the beginning, let us make man in our image. If, if they made a woman... Then who is the hour? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Was woman made in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? No. The us has to be someone else. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And it was so. And I, God, said... Let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And I, God, created man in mine own image. In the image of mine only begotten created I him. Male and female created I them. That act of creation requires male and female, doesn't it? So the father came down and created. The mother came down and created. Now, what's the very next sentence? Does he now pronounce good? Are we done? Does he say, I got a man and I got a woman. Okay, we're done. What's the next sentence? Verse 28. What's the next sentence? Be fruitful 
and multiply and replenish the earth. So tell me what God created on the sixth day. Not Adam, not Eve. We don't end there. What did he create on the sixth day? He created a family. Are they married? Are they bringing forth children? Are they at least commanded to bring forth children? What did he create on day one? On day six, sorry. A family. He brought them together into a family unit. And now he completely changes his assessment. Every other day he said, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. As if to say, I'm not done. Then he creates a family and tell me what he says. Verse 31, I, God, saw everything that I had made, and behold, all things which I, were, I made were very good. He now says, I finished my project. What's a very good grade? Now he has an A. His project is complete because this whole process, all of this was designed to get where? Families. So let me ask the question, why did God create this earth? In his own words now, why does he create the earth? To create families. Now, I got to... I got to add another word. Can you think of any time Heavenly Father uses a greater, more superlative word than very good? Okay. When does he use it? Give me a word he uses frequently associated with something. What? And we're going to get to perfect. I'm going to save perfect yet because that's way in our future, right? Tell me what word we find repeated at the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, section four. Behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth. He repeats it repeatedly, right? Section 11, a marvelous work. Section 12, a marvelous work. Section 13, a marvelous work. So creating an eternal family, bringing an eternal family together, making a family unit, he gave the grade a very good. What is marvelous? What is marvelous? What's the marvelous work? Now, I don't want to pin it down to a single thing, but what does God give the grade of marvelous? Go to the very first chronological section of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is not section one. Section one, if you look at the date, was a year and a half after the church is organized. It's the preface for the Doctrine and Covenants that the Lord put in place. He gave two revelations that day. One is section one, one is section 133. One was supposed to be the preface and one was the appendix. So the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenants is section two. And Moroni's giving this in Joseph Smith's bedroom. Now let's read it carefully. And you tell me what's marvelous. Who wants to read section two? Only three verses, really quick. Section two. Behold, I will re 
Okay, tell me what Elijah brings. Not the ability to create a family. The ability to seal a family. The Doctrine and Covenants begins with what idea? The sealing of families. I will send you Elijah so you can seal. Now let's read the rest of this. shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers if it were not so now listen if elijah doesn't come if we don't seal families listen carefully the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming if we don't seal families then this earth was a waste If we don't create eternal family units, this whole earth was a waste. So I would use the word marvelous associated with what activity? Sealing. Making a family eternal. Now, creating a family, very good. Making a family eternal, that's his marvelous work. His marvelous work is that he makes families eternal. Now, do we need a Book of Mormon? Do we need a church? All those things are the means to make eternal families. If we don't make eternal families, this whole earth was a waste. So let me just very clearly teach this doctrine. President Nelson teaches it repeatedly. Salvation is an individual affair. You can go to any kingdom of glory without anyone else's help. You can go to the celestial kingdom alone. True or false? True. You can go to the celestial kingdom. You do not need a companion. You do not need a partner to go to, a, to, go to any kingdom of glory. Salvation is an individual affair. But if your destination, if the goal of your destination is exaltation, the only way you can get there is how? Families. Salvation is an individual affair. Eternal life is a family affair. You cannot get to exaltation without an eternal companion. Now, I know that's a sensitive subject. And Heavenly Father is going to assist. I know that some people are super stressed out about their eternal marriage situation. And we'll save that for another day. But let me be clear in the doctrine. If you want to go to, etern- if you want to, go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, if your goal is exaltation, you must form, create, and seal an eternal family. There is no other way. Is that true of Jesus? Can Jesus go to the can Jesus be exalted without a wife? He cannot. Somewhere along the line, we don't know when, but somewhere along the line, he has to be married. He has to create and seal an eternal family. And then he can be exalted. You don't need anyone to go to the celestial kingdom. But if your goal is exaltation, you must 
create and keep and maintain and seal an eternal family. Therefore, tell me what every single covenant in the temple is designed to do. Every covenant is designed to exalt a family. Not you alone, a family. Everything you do, the law of sacrifice, law of obedience, the law of the gospel, every covenant you make is designed to teach you how to become an eternal family. And that is his priority. Now, if you don't want that, there are other kingdoms of glory. But if you want what he has, if you want to go where he is, if your destination is his destination, then the goal is to create an eternal family. So what is Heavenly Father's highest priority? Missions? Build temples? No. Write scriptures? What is Heavenly Father's highest priority? Help you find an eternal companion. It is my testimony that nothing is more important to His work than helping you find an eternal companion. He will partner with you in that effort. But if you want to go where He is, you need to have His priorities. And that is that everything... Why are you on a mission? I hope the answer is, I'm on a mission to create an eternal family. Why are you going to school? To create an eternal family. Why are you studying the Book of Mormon? Why do you study Come Follow Me? Why are we studying the New Testament? To create an eternal family. So what in this week's Come Follow Me, what in this, comes follow, what in this week's Come Follow Me will help you create an eternal family? That is what I hear him saying every time I go to the temple. Now, just a couple other scriptures. Go to section 49. Doctrine and Covenant section 49. His second witness. Now, this is with the shakers. Remember the shakers? Layman Copley was a shaker, and they were kind of odd. And the Lord asked Layman Copley to go back and correct some of the doctrine of the shakers. And one of the most bizarre doctrines of the shakers is they didn't believe in marriage, which is why I think all the shakers are gone. I believe all the shakers have just died out. If you don't believe in marriage, that's what's going to happen. And so the shakers are gone. But their doctrine was they believed in, they didn't believe in marriage. So go to section 49 of the Doctrine and Covenants and watch the Lord give that same idea. He's going to teach that same principle, that this earth was created to create eternal families. Doctrine and Covenants 49 Now, do you see the heading shakers? Verse 2, they desire to know the truth in part, but not all. For they are not right before me, and they need to repent. And some of the things he teaches that they need to repent. Now, starting in verse 15. Again, verily I say unto you that whoso forbiddeth to marry is not ordained of God. For marriage is ordained of God unto man. Therefore, it is lawful that, we should ha that he should have one wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Every covenant is trying to teach you how to be one flesh. And now notice what he says. Anyone want to read the rest of verse 16? 
you learn how to be one flesh or else katie finished that verse and all this So what is the earth? What is the end of the earth's creation? Exaltation. Exaltation to create eternal families. So, here's what we're going to do. Before we jump into the endowment, we're going to run into that ceiling room. We're going to start with the end. We're going to see the covenant of the ceiling room to create an eternal family unit. And then we're gonna go back to the five covenants and ask ourselves, how do each covenant, how does each covenant lead to the goal of one flesh, a unified, sealed, eternal family unit? You see why we need to jump there first? And then we're gonna come back to the endowment because the backdrop of this whole thing, the backdrop of all the covenants is Heavenly Father lives in the family unit. He lives in exaltation. And the only way we can end up where He ends up is if I learn how to successfully create a oneness, a unity in the family unit. I testify that all the challenges we face, we can overcome. Trust Him. He will help you find an eternal companion. I do not understand how same-gender attraction works, so I trust Him. I don't know what that means. I trust that somehow everything works out. I don't have those answers. But along the way, I'm going to trust that everything I'm doing, everything I've been commanded, is pushing me towards a goal of eternal life. And I can have it. Every covenant is going to push me towards eternal life. I believe that is Him waving the arms and saying, see the goal eternal life, eternal creation, eternal Godhood. That's what He wants to give us. And the center unit that you have to know how to get right. Now, you can make mistakes and we can break it and fix it and break it and fix it, but you have to know how to successfully be in a family unit. Of that I testify. As long as the acknowledgement of all of my imperfections, but I am trying to create an eternal family. I'm trying to be the kind of man that she wants to spend eternity with and that they want to spend eternity with. Because the greatest thing in their heart is to maintain that family unit. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.